Cosmic Canvas Studio presents What Lies Between Sleep. Welcome to Dreamlights, the show where narratives from people centuries ago speak in the same tone and voice as people do today. I'm just kidding. But I did want to address a complaint that I got from more than a few readers. Here's an example to perfectly summarize how a lot of you out there are feeling. Dear Bernard, do you really expect us to believe that Abigail's journal would speak in such common English? And the journal from the Frenchie? It also somehow conveniently is in a very modernized version of English. I call shenanigans. Just admit that this is all fake already. Sincerely, Jacob. Well, Mr. Jacob, I appreciate your hostile tone and outright accusations of being a liar. Let me explain it all to you. So, I'm not just decoding and translating these works to you guys. I'm also interpreting the meanings behind the words as well. Yes, the manner in which a Frenchman in the 1700s would speak is very different from how we communicate in modern times. And yes, Abigail's English was considerably different from modern day English, but there's two different ways that you can translate a work. The first way is to be as literal as possible, which means you're doing everything in your power to preserve not only the meaning of the words, but also the sentence structure as well as the exact wording that the individuals use. Uh, this leads to a few issues, especially when you're translating from a different language where certain concepts don't really connect, but it is an extremely faithful way to reproduce someone else's work. The second way you can translate is to capture the original meaning while not necessarily holding to a strict literal translation. I often use this method because it lets me put the concepts and ideas presented into understandable and coherent sentences. I'm not adding, subtracting, or altering the meaning or ideas the writer is conveying. I'm simply making changes that are necessary in order to improve comprehension. So yeah, you might hear an expression or phrase used that didn't exist in that time period, or you might be thinking, gee, this person sounds very modern. But that's only because I'm doing my best to preserve the ideas presented, while also making them accessible to all of my listeners. And full disclosure, I also omit things too. Usually details or words that I don't think matter. Sometimes I have to cut through large rambling chunks of words to get to the point. This isn't me being dishonest with you. It's just me working to provide the most coherent and relevant narrative that I can. And frankly, until I got this exact email, I hadn't really put this idea of what I was doing into words. I just sort of was unconsciously doing it. Okay, so with that to rest, let's get back to the main part of the show. We've been digging through the Ixbel cipher, looking at the life of Abigail. I've been able to decode a significant chunk of the rest, and I'm actually at an impasse on whether I should keep digging in or not. But we'll get to that part near the end of the show. So, without further ado, the next part of Abigail's journal. If you didn't notice, I completely abandoned giving these sections titles. And since I'm not going to go back and change the last episode to give them titles, mainly because I can't figure out how, uh, we'll just go with part two, Consequences. Sleep comes violently to me. I have no chance to resist it when the urge strikes. Even if I am walking down the street in the middle of the day, asking for coin, I am struck by a deep need to sleep. I crawl on the ground, unable to lift the heavy burden upon me, and soon am whisked away into that strange place. In this place, Giallo, I am transformed. My entire body no longer burns. I sail through the air as if I were the wind itself. I am carried by those winds upwards, higher and higher, until finally I am brought to that great and starlit ocean. 
Each night I find a bottle in the water, shimmering, calling to me. A writ of paper whispers the name of the one I must seek, and then I return to the waking world. Yet I am not in my old body, for it still sleeps in dreams. I am atop America, looking down at the plains and mountains, the fields and the waters that surround it. The wind guides me to the window of the one I must bring the message to. Some are joyous to see me, others are afraid. Yet in the end, I always accomplish my task. No matter how reluctant, no matter how afraid they are, I make sure they have the writ before the night is done. There is an unearthly delight that fills my body when I complete my tasks. A joy beyond all joys. The knowledge that I have done well for my false mother fills me with glee. And each time that I return from this strange endeavor, I find the waking world a little less colorful. As if the entire world is slowly losing all shades and hues, becoming only gray. My body does things of its own accord when I depart to Giallo. I return to find more cans of paint hidden away in a basement of the ruined Phillips house. There are many things in that basement. Quill, parchment, papers. I did not at first understand what was happening until the day the strange man arrived, banging on the basement door. He was a wiry man with gray hair and suspicious eyes. He had the look of one who never sleeps, and his hands were ever moving, jumping about as if something were crawling on him. All I could smell was the scent of burnt tobacco, as if he had been smoking for his entire life. I have it, he shouted, grabbing me by the arm and dragging me to the wagon with a fantastic contraption. It was an enormous wooden machine with stamps and levers, meant to create books. Something deep within me had been expecting this, and it was gleeful. I would soon come to realize that sense within my head was my false mother, who could see through my eyes and hear through my ears, for upon diving in the waters, I had become entirely hers. He hired a few of the wastrels to carry the device into the basement and paid them extra to ensure they would not tell anyone of what they had seen. Such men, eager to enjoy strong liquors with their earnings, would certainly forget the occurrence anyway. Once the delivery had been made, he demanded that I give him what was due, and my arms of their own accord sought out the silver paint, smearing the silver against my lips. I uttered the name of the Dreamgate Horuxios. The man was delighted with the name, and left without saying another word. The debt had been paid, and the great dreamer began to send me words to write, and words to replicate on what I would learn was called the printing press. And we are back. Interesting stuff, isn't it? Let's keep going. There was guidance from the great dreamer as her words began to enter my head. What you hold in your hands, reader, is what she told me to write. But they are lies, half-truths and misdirections. She only cares about herself. All that you read is meant to benefit her. I am compelled to work, unable to do anything night and day other than to create page after page. There is no need for me to sleep nor eat. I am free to work all hours. But my clothes begin to hang loosely from my body. My arms are becoming thinner. I can feel my ribs pressing out. I am starving to death. This much I know. Though I do not suffer from hunger and haven't eaten in weeks, I realize now that I still need food in order to live. But my silver hands push any morsel away. The great dreamer has given me a single task in the waking, 
to share her words with any who would dare to read the Giallo path. But soon I will die, and I know that I will not go to heaven, nor to hell. I shall return to that ocean, and carry on my tasks, perhaps for all eternity. I warn you, reader, as my body fights against my mind, scrambling these words to hide them from you. If you are able to understand what strange language I write, then you must know this. Do not trust Plidwicks. She is the false mother. And here is where Abigail's narrative ends. We know the rest of the story. She printed up a bunch of these, started distributing them, and ended up arrested for blasphemy. And then she vanished. But, uh, while this might be the end of the narrative that Abigail wrote, it's it's not the end of the Ixwell cipher. There's about three more pages left. I only decoded the first part before I stopped. Here's what I have so far. I reward those who are curious. You have found the secret pleas of my poor daughter, who is too in love with her flesh to realize the gift I brought her. Do not fear for her, for when the time is right, I shall bring her back to the fold and give her joy unending. I did not create this cipher for those who would hear Abigail's words. I wrote these words for you who have sought out this book to learn of the secrets of the hidden place, the place that lies between sleep. Perhaps you are a victim of a great judge, or maybe you are looking for power. I can help you with anything you wish, yet there is always a price to pay. Perform the dream rituals I prescribe in this secret text, and we shall begin to bargain. And that is all I've decoded. Let me tell you something. It's really freaky to read the words that Plidwix is supposedly speaking directly to interested parties. Like, it's like she knew that I would be reading this. I haven't deciphered the dream ritual she speaks about because, uh, yeah, I'm scared. I'm scared that if I do decode them, I'll be tempted to use them. I mean, this Plidwix is clearly a troublemaker. Calling to her for help would be really stupid. But, on the other hand... What if she can lead me to more knowledge? I mean, she seems to be the type who likes to make a bargain. Like with that guy who gave her a printing press? I feel like I need to know more. It's an urge, almost a compulsion to learn. Maybe it's the fact that if I can't get the information I'm looking for, the show stops. Or maybe it's because this stuff, this esoteric, weird lore, is absolutely fascinating. But at the same time, I feel so far away from it all. I mean, yeah, I had a few odd experiences, and I got to experiment, but the further away I get from those days of entering Giallo, the more it all seems like it was just a bad dream. But I know it wasn't. Yet it fades from my memory all the same, as if it had never happened. I simply have to see more with my own eyes. <sighs> Alright, I'm gonna do it. I'm going to study these supposed dream rituals and see if they would provide me any benefits. At the very least, it'll satisfy my curiosity. Will I use these rituals? I don't really know. And we are back with the Bad Decision Hour. I'm your host, Bernard Sanderson. So, I have a sheet in front of me listing three rituals meant to call forth Plidwicks into my dreams. The first ritual is called the Tides. By following it, I will be able to gain information from her in exchange for performing a single task in the waking. 
The value of the information sets the value of the task. Here's the actual language of the ritual. On the granting of sights and visions unseen, by conducting the ritual of tides, you call me forth to learn that which is unknown to your mind. I can reveal all that you wish, yet you must do as I ask in the waking. Should I find no need for your body, I shall turn my attentions to other possessions of yours to take. Let the weight of what you wish to know set the price of what you are willing to pay. The second ritual is called the stars. When performed, Plidwicks will dissuade a great judge from bothering me any further, in exchange for one of my dreams. Uh, this one was really interesting to read, to be honest. Here, I'll give you what I translated. On the calling of me for aid against those who are most cruel, the ritual of the stars is a sacred pact between you and I. I shall speak on your behalf, to vex the great judge who has turned its burning eye upon you. No matter the judge, be it Ysor or the mighty tall walker Ogmar, I shall turn their eye away from you. In exchange, you will give me the gift that I greatly envy from all hosts of mankind. One of your dreams. The dream must be a joyous one, held close in the midst of sleep, a dream most human and real. You may forget all of your dreams in the morning, feeble mortal, but I, the great dreamer, watch all of them with jealousy. Crazy, huh? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad I deciphered these rituals. Here's the last one, and don't worry, I saved the best for last. On gaining the power to leap through dreams and shatter the black gate. Should you have machinations most cruel? towards mortals who have done you great wrong, yet you wish not to rely upon the waking world to bring them harm, then you must conduct the ritual of seaweed. I shall grant you the body of the most terrible ivory clod, so that you may traverse the dreamless ocean and find the gate you most desire. But in exchange for such a power, you will give up all future dreams to me. Each night you will wander as the ivory clod, giving into urges most fiendish. Well, I enjoy your dreams until you shed your mortal form. Creepy stuff. Like, really creepy. But how much of this is true? Like, really? I mean, I don't know a damn thing about this strange being, let alone that she would actually make good on any of these promises. She lays it out so methodically, telling me all of the rules of the exchange so plainly. It's inviting from the simplicity of it, like ordering from a menu of unearthly options. But you know how in our common culture we have the myth of making a deal with the devil? You know, a Faustian bargain? Who's to say the devil actually has to live up to his end of the deal? I mean, seriously, I have no guarantee that Plidwix isn't just going to get what she wants and then immediately enslave me. Look, I get what I'm doing with the show is stupid. But if I'm going to be stupid, then I need to be just the right amount. If I'm too dumb, I'll be knocked out of the game for good. I have no defenses, no way of protecting myself if this supposed great dreamer has it in for me. Uh, I'm going to keep the rituals and I'm putting them in a special binder, but but it'll be a cold day in hell before I use them. Ugh. Why do I sound so disappointed? Because I want to find more. And every time I, I get close to something, I just end up having to stop because of some threat against me. I need that damn book by Arthur Cunningham. <sighs> I'm going to get my hands on it one way or the other. That's our show for today. Sorry to leave it on such a frustrated note, but hey, at least we decoded the whole Xwell cipher, right? That's something to be proud of. No emails today, because I read one at the beginning of the episode, and surprisingly, that was the nicest of the batch that I got this week. 
So, this is Bernard Sanderson saying, If you bite off more than you can chew, don't take another bite. Unless it makes for a good podcast. See ya. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. If you want to have one of your emails read by me on air, hop on Patreon and subscribe. Your support can help this podcast continue to grow and thrive. Check the show notes or head on over to www.whatliesbetweensleep.com for more info. And I'll see you next week.